Hey, welcome back everybody. Listen, we want to just encourage you again uh, to be a part of our online congregation. If you've joined our journey over the last 12 months of this lockdown and say, you know what, I really enjoy walking with Family Church. We want to you to know that we'd love for you to be a part of an online campus and congregation that we're building now. Um, that's going to be in place for when we finish lockdown and we're all gathered again together in our other locations. Really want to welcome you today. My name's Andy Elms and I'm the Senior Pastor of Family Church. And we're coming off of the back of an incredible series that we spent some time at the beginning of the year looking at positioning ourselves or posturing ourselves correctly so that God can use us. And today we're starting a brand new series, uh, one that actually follows on and really dovetails well with the series that we just finished, the previous one. In our last series, we spoke over a period of four weeks about being awoken by God, to, about being set apart for his purposes, living surrendered to his will for our lives. And the result of those things being that we can be ready for God to use us in our everyday worlds to bring him glory through the way that we live. Our journey together over those four weeks uh, helped you, I hope, to be ready for action, primed and positioned, ready for God to use you. Now, I want to continue to build on these thoughts now with something else that we need to understand that's very important if we're wanting or desiring or expecting God to use our lives. Like we said, we've journeyed the beginning of this year through what it is to be awoken, what it is to have a life that's set apart for God, what it is to uh, live a life that's submitted and surrendered to his will, and to have an expectation in us, Lord, would you use me now to do the things that you want to do through my life? Now, here's another important thing that we must understand if we have a desire for God to use us. But we are called, we're not called to live and do things merely in our own power, our own strength or ability. But rather, we're invited by God to know his power and ability operating in and through our lives. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks, is the thought of turning the power on in our life. Another way of putting that, that you may have heard it uh, referred to before, is living a spirit-filled life or a spirit-led life. We really want to concentrate on this because when we understand that God wants to use our life, it's vital that we also understand that God's not looking at what we can do with our ability, with our power, or with our talents or gifts alone, all these things that he gave to us. But he's wanting, to understand, he wanted, wanting us to understand what he can do through us when we allow his Holy Spirit to be at work in us and through us in our everyday lives. <clears throat> We're going to look at living a spirit-filled life and how it was always the plan of God for us in the salvation that he provided for us. Now, many of you know I'm a, I'm a bit of a preacher, but I really want to take time over the next four weeks to teach these things, to look at key verses related to these things. Now, when you give a preacher or a preacher the subject of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, believe me, we have to restrain ourselves from just getting up and preaching um, on the Holy Spirit. But I want you over the next four weeks, if you've never experienced the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
to experience in it. It doesn't matter that you're not in a meeting or you're at home or you're watching at work. See, the Holy Spirit is totally unlimited by the restrictions that have been put in place over these last few months. Now, when we look at salvation, we need to understand that God's plan in salvation was not just to reposition us, but also to re-empower us or to give us new empowerment in our lives also. Now, through our salvation, we are repositioned by him into a brand new life. This is true. This is fact. But when the person believes, the moment a person believes, the Bible says that it's a work of salvation that comes through faith in his grace. But that person is, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, repositioned out of a life that they've known and into a brand new life that God has given them. Now, this isn't a theory or a fairy tale. A person really does receive a brand new life. We, We don't want to treat this like it's a myth, a fairy tale, or just a good story or mere theory. No, it's true. The moment a person believes in Jesus and receives Jesus as their saviour, the Lord repositions them. He takes them out of an old life and brings them into a brand new life, a life that's never been before. I love the way that it's put in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it says, old is gone and new has come. But the Bible also reveals that the Lord provides the power and the ability to live out this new life in a brand new way. Isn't that wonderful that God's plan of salvation didn't just reposition us, it didn't just take us from having an old life to having a brand new one, to forgiving all of our sins, to giving us a life like we've never lived before, but also the plan of God (coughs) included him now providing us the power, the ability that we need to live out this life in a way that brings him glory. I've always used the example of a bad driver when I've been teaching on this in times before, where imagine if you had somebody that was a bad driver and every time they got behind the wheel of a car, they crashed the car. Every time they got behind a wheel of a car, if they borrowed a car, rented a car, they crashed the car. Now, that problem wouldn't be solved by giving a person a brand new car. If that person came to me and said, not that I've got a brand new car, but if a person came to me and said, can I borrow your car? I say, listen, I've got issues with you borrowing my car. And it's not about the car. It's about you. It's about the driver. Now, we've got to understand that the plan of salvation took this into consideration. The plan that God had for saving us didn't just include us receiving a brand new life or a brand new car, but also God included a brand new driver. That through salvation, the Lord gives a person, when they believe, a brand new life. This is unmistakably true according to the teaching of the Word of God. But also we need to understand it's unmistakably true that the Lord then also wants to give a new driver to the life. Why? So that we don't go and uh, go ahead and crash the new car or the new life like we did the old one. Because if you give a new car to somebody who's a bad driver, all they're going to do with that new car is crash it like they did the one they had before. 
Now, God understood this, that in giving us a new life, if he didn't change the power we had to live it, the ability we had to live it, then it would only be a matter of time before we did with this new life what we did with the old one. So at Family Church, we believe and we preach something called a full salvation. Now, by that, we mean we believe that God provides a salvation where a person is repositioned into a brand new life, but also he gives that person the spirit to empower them to live out this brand new life in a brand new way. Now, the plan of God for a person is number one, to be sealed by the Spirit. Ephesians 1.13 says that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, but also that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not good enough just to preach you're sealed by the Spirit. We need to also teach what the Word of God reveals, that we're to be filled with the Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit is given to a person at salvation for the work of regeneration, but also that their life would be sealed and the Holy Spirit becomes a guarantee upon that person's life. But the Bible also reveals, Ephesians 5.18 is one verse, that God wants us to experience not just being sealed by the Spirit, labelled we belong to God, but also that we would be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says that we should no longer be drunk with other things or try and find our delight in other things that lead us to no good place at all, but rather we should be filled and be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's here that we can see and notice a very real difference between religious Christianity and spirit-filled Christianity. You see, religious Christianity believes in a person being sealed but not filled. But that leaves a person bound by their own capability. See, if you're only sealed by the Spirit, now don't get me wrong, that's a wonderful thing. But if you're only sealed by the Spirit, but not filled with the Spirit, you are still living in the limitation of your own capability. Now, bear in mind, we were sentenced to knowing our own capability prior to discovering Christ. Now, if all that we have is our own capability, then we're not going to live for power-filled or the spirit-led life that God desires and intends for us to live. Now, I've been asked by different people over the years um, a question that's confused me in some ways. I've had people say to me at different times, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. But then they've asked this, are you spirit-filled? Are you a spirit-filled Christian? My answer is always very simply, I didn't know that there was another variety. Because the Bible reveals that those who are filled with the Spirit belong to God. Let me give you a couple of verses. We're going to cover a lot of verses today. So if you're taking notes, be writing these down and go back and visit them. Like I said, I'm not out to preach today. I'm out to lay out what the Bible says to you, the listener, for you to work out yourself whether God truly has given his Spirit and whether his Spirit is available for you to know today, all right? So we're going to spend a lot of time going through different verses. Now, it says in Romans 8, verse 9, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. And then Romans 8, 14, a few verses later, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The reality is, it's actually impossible to live the Christian life God expects you to live 
without his spirit in you and with you, enabling you to do so. Come on, think about it. If you haven't got the spirit of God in you now, empowering you and enabling you, all you have is the same ability or capability that you had before that was dependent on your might, your strength and your ability. Now, if we couldn't live the way that God wanted us to live before we were saved, how can we imagine that we can live the way that God instructs for us to live now with that same energy we had before? No, it's not true. We need uh, a new power inside of us, a new ability inside of us to live true to the standards of God and the ways that God would have us to live. That's why we believe and we preach, not just that in salvation a person is repositioned, taken from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son of his love, but also that the Lord provides his Holy Spirit, his spirit to come and live inside of the life of a believer to empower them, enable them and give them the ability to now live a life that pleases God. Now, without the baptism of the Holy Spirit or without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all it will lead a person to experience is double standard or double living or hypocrisy. Because if you've got no new ability within you to live differently, all you're going to end up doing is pretending you'll live differently so that people think you are when they're watching you. God doesn't want that for you. The plan of salvation repositions a person, but then offers that God's spirit would then come into your life, that your life would become his dwelling place so that you can experience, not in church on Sunday morning, but in your everyday daily life, the empowerment and the ability of God's spirit now living within you, enabling you to live the life that God has called you to live. I'm sorry, but gospels of mental ascent and behavior modification are simply not enough. We have to preach a gospel that includes that God has made his spirit available, not just to seal you as one who now belongs to him, but also to come and live inside of you, to empower you, to give you the ability that you need to live. Now, we should not seek or settle for being powerless Christians or for being a powerless church. I don't believe that for a moment. We shouldn't settle for being a powerless Christian when the Bible says that we shouldn't. We shouldn't settle for being a powerless church when the Bible says that his church should actually be a people of a power and authority that are making a difference in the earth, not just blending in with what's going on in it. Now, the Bible actually teaches us that we should have power-filled lives and that we need to be a power-filled church in these dark times that we live. The Bible references in 2 Timothy that in the end days, in the last days, and I believe we're living in these days now, that there will be two types of church on the earth, one that has power and one that doesn't. Now, let me read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read from verses 1 to 4. As it describes the end times or the last days in, in, in a very, very realistic way for the days that we're living in now. It says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. 
People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, the list goes on, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Isn't that an interesting list that really describes the day or the hour that we're living in, in a, in a very, very realistic way. But then listen to what it says in verse five. It says, a people having a form or type of godliness or Christianity, but denying its power. And then the Bible instructs us, instructs us have nothing to do with such people. So Paul gives this whole list of things that are signs of the days in which we're living being the end days. But then at the end of the list, he says, another thing that will be present in the end days or the last days will be a church that looks like it's a church. It goes through all the religious motions of a church, yet it denies the power. And the Bible says, have nothing to do with such people. That's like having a lamp, but no oil, isn't it? Like in the parable of the wise and foolish virgins, it says the foolish virgins had lamps, but the wise virgins had lamps, but also oil in their lamps. I believe that there is a church on the earth today that looks like the church, sounds like the church, goes through the religious motions of the church, but it has no power to do anything on the earth. Yet at the same time, there's a church on the earth today, and I believe that we're a part of that church, that doesn't just look like the church, but we love and believe in the power of God, not just at the centre of the church, but at the very centre of our lives. We don't want to be a powerless hypocrite like the people mentioned in the verses above, but we want to be power-filled saints. Come on, we don't want to be powerless people when God says that we're to be power-filled saints that can change the world in which we're living. So let's spend a few weeks looking at the subject of being spirit-filled and being empowered by God's spirit and see what the Bible teaches on living a spirit-filled life. Now, over the next three or four weeks, like I said, I don't want to go into a preaching frenzy. I just want us to teach this and look at what the Bible teaches on certain subjects like, has God made his spirit available to those who believe? How does being spirit-filled affect our daily life? And how should a spirit-filled life affect others who live around us? Again, I'm not going to get weird. I'm not going to get freaky because there's certain people watching today and maybe you've recently given your life to Jesus and you've never heard about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been saved a week or a month and you're like, this is the first I've really heard about this, Andy. Now, I want to take time over the next three or four weeks to lay out how God intended for you to be repositioned with a brand new life, but also that you would know his spirit coming to live inside of your life to enable you and empower you to be all that he says you can be. So we're not in a hurry. That's a good thing about a series. We're not in a hurry. We're going to build from the ground up and we're going to look at verses in, in, in the Bible that enable us to build 
from the very foundation or ground up our understanding of the giving of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and what it looks like to have a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, our starting block is actually a very profound and radical one, yet totally true. This is the statement I want to start our building with. That the Bible teaches that God Almighty places his own spirit in the lives of those he has redeemed. Now that is a powerful statement, a radical statement, a very profound statement, yet totally true. And what we want to establish over these next few weeks together is the reality of this, that God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, did not just save you, but he also desires to place his own spirit within you, the Holy Spirit, to empower you to live a life beyond what you imagined you could live. So let's start our journey with the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The coming of God's Spirit into our lives was promised by Jesus multiple times. But before we dig into the promises that were made by Jesus, let's take a moment to look at what others said and promised about the coming of the Holy Spirit. I'm specifically looking at what the prophets in the Old Testament said about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, this initial step in laying a foundation is very important because a person has to have an inner confidence and assurance of the availability of something before they can fully take possession of it. So we need to take time over the next couple of weeks to totally remove any lies, lies like this. Did God really plan to always do this? Or lies like this, is the Holy Spirit for me? Or was he only for those who we read about in the Bible and other leaders in the church today? We want to remove those doubts, those unbeliefs, those lies, so that every person can experience personally the coming of the Holy Spirit, if you've not yet experienced that, but also the daily indwelling of God's Spirit within your life, leading you, empowering you to live a life that pleases God. So we want to look at what God has made available. But like I said, we've got to fundamentally understand first that God has made it available, that you're not breaking any rules or committing a crime. To have an expectation of God's Spirit coming into your life and dwelling with you in your daily life. It's like if I sent one of my children to get something, but they were unsure whether they were actually allowed to, they would approach what I asked them to collect with great caution, with unbelief, with scepticism. Yet if I could give them evidence that what I'd asked them to go and collect was theirs by giving them a guarantee or a letter that said, this is absolutely yours to receive or collect, then there would be a confidence within them to take possession of what I've said is available for them to have. In the same way, we want to spend some weeks looking at what the Bible teaches about the giving of the Holy Spirit, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 
so that you can have a total confidence that you're not doing anything wrong and you're not doing anything illegal. In fact, you're being obedient to what God has asked you to do. So when we talk about the prophets in the Old Testament, it's important that we mention the prophets in the Old Testament because we've got to understand that the giving of the Holy Spirit or the empowerment of the Holy Spirit wasn't something that Jesus came up with when he walked the earth. It wasn't a last minute plan that the Father came up with when Jesus was sent to save us. Rather, it was always in his divine intent. It was always in the divine intention of God to connect us to his power. In, 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 in another way of looking at it, actually, it's a reconnection, isn't it? Because when we look in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we know that God made man alive in body, soul and spirit. The original man, Adam, or the original mankind were made to know union with God and to know God's spirit, not just around them, but within them. In the same way, Christ, when you place your faith in him, actually reconnects you to that which God originally intended for you to know in the origin of creation. So the prophet Joel in in Joel 2 verse 28 makes this incredible announcement that we'll come back to in a little bit when he says in the last days. Now this is this is so many uh, years before Jesus came to the earth. The prophet Joel was seeing what God was revealing to him about the times that we're now living in, the times that were the other side of the cross. Joel was prophesying from this side of the cross, the moments before Jesus had come to earth and redeemed mankind. But he had a revelation from God about what would happen this side of the cross in the moments after Jesus died, was buried and rose again. And seeing what God revealed to him, the prophet Joel announced in the last days, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, says the Lord. But I want to focus on what another prophet said, and that was the prophet Ezekiel. Again, all we're doing today, we're not in a hurry. We're going to spend about four weeks on this. We're laying foundations that give us a confidence of what we're believing that God's going to do in our lives. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 24 to 27. Listen to how Ezekiel again living the other side of the cross seeing things as a prophet that God was revealing to him that we would know this side of the cross almost painted a beautiful perfect picture of the salvation that God intended. Now it says in verse 24 this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. That's a message of being restored to being God's people. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And that's indeed what the Lord has done through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has cleansed us from all of our sins and our trespasses. And then it says in verse 26, now listen to how precise this is. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I 
will put my spirit. Notice it says the word my, not a. I will put my spirit in you and move you to then follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. But now you'll be keeping my laws or my standards from within your life rather than externally or trying to perform outside of your life. Can you see how clear the prophet Ezekiel was when he announced the thoughts and the heart of God in that day when I've cleansed you and washed you from your sins, I am going to place my spirit in you to enable you and empower you to live true to the standards that you couldn't live true to when you were merely under the law in the Old Testament. So in this prophecy, you clearly see God's plan for a full salvation. But in a full salvation, it wasn't just the repositioning of a person, but also the indwelling of that person with his very own spirit. Let's look to another man who was a, a prophet, and that was John the Baptist. He was indeed the forerunner of Jesus, the one who announced who Jesus was when he saw him on the edge of the, uh, the, the River Jordan. But listen to the words in Matthew 3.11. Again, I'm going to cover a lot of verses today, guys, because I want you to understand that the giving of the Holy Spirit or the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to empower a person wasn't a last minute plan by God, but it was always the divine intent of God for the salvation he would provide for you and for me. So John the Baptist made this announcement when when he saw Jesus in Matthew 3 verse 11. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. And that word, that word baptize is baptizo and it means to fully saturate, penetrate, permeate. It didn't mean to christen. The word that was used here by John the Baptist for baptism was a baptism of full immersion. And it was likened to a piece of cloth going into dye. And that that piece of cloth taking on every characteristic of the dye that it was plunged into. It's the Greek word baptizo. And it means to saturate, to fully immerse. Now, listen, John the Baptist, we know, baptized in water. He didn't christen people. He plunged people and fully submitted them or submerged them in water. But John the Baptist said this of Jesus. I indeed baptize you with water unto your repentance, the repositioning of your life. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He, and he's speaking about Jesus, he will baptize you. He uses the same word, baptizo, to saturate, to fully drench, to make sure that everything the water was, was in every part of what had been placed into it. He, Jesus, will baptize you. Another word for baptize is overwhelm you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now let's look at how many times Jesus spoke and taught that he was he was sending his spirit or the father had a plan after the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, to send his spirit as a gift to every believer. We've looked at the Old Testament prophets and there's plenty more that we could look at, but we've chosen Joel and Ezekiel. 
We've seen the announcement of the forerunner, John the Baptist. But now let's turn to the teaching of Jesus, because sometimes when people teach on being baptized by the Spirit or uh, having a Spirit-filled life, they almost allude that Jesus made one random statement. If we just zoom in today on the book of John alone, on the Gospel of John alone, you'll see that Jesus never ever made a random comment about the coming and the indwelling of the Spirit. In fact, as he approached the cross around chapters 14, 15 and 16, Jesus made the coming of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, one of the key things that he taught his disciples over and over again. I'm going to read you a number of verses. Please stay with me. It's important that we see that this was the plan of the Godhead, that people who received the salvation of God would also experience the empowerment of the Spirit and the indwelling of God's Spirit in their life. John 14, verse 15 to 18. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he will abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Listen, for he dwells with you and will be in you. At this moment when Jesus was speaking, the day of Pentecost had not occurred, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given, but the disciples had experienced the Holy Spirit with them in and on Christ. But Jesus said, you're not just going to experience him with you like you have walking with me, but the Bible says that Jesus taught he dwells with you and will be present tense to them, past tense to us. He will be in you. It's important that we underline these things. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, we know that Jesus wasn't speaking of him coming again to dwell with the disciples, but again, the sending of his spirit to live with them and in them. Then we look at John 14, verses 25 to 26, same chapter, a few verses on. These things I've spoken for while uh, these these things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, that word is Paracletus, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance of all that I've said to you. Now Jesus is introducing us to the Father sending the Holy Spirit. And we know that what God had in his divine intent was that when Jesus rose from the dead, having made payment for the sinner and providing a new life for those who believed in him, when Jesus presented his blood before the Father in heaven, the Father would then release the gift of the Holy Spirit to every person who'd received his son. Verse uh, 26 of John 15 go on one more chapter now Jesus says in verse 26 of John 15 but when the helper comes whom I shall send to you from the father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father he will testify of me here we underline again that the Holy Spirit that we receive into our life that we welcome into our life is a gift from the father but is also the spirit of the father and the spirit of the son no longer just present in them 
but also now in us. Okay, let's keep moving through these verses. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. I still have many things to say to you that you cannot bear right now. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears... Uh, He will speak and he will tell you of the things to come. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. We can see that what Jesus is referring to here is the same spirit that is in the father and in the son will also now be present in us. So the spirit that is in Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God, not another spirit that God's designed or made, but his own spirit is released to come and live in the life of those who believe and receive him as the gift of the Father. Okay, let's also look now at what Jesus taught. One last thing that Jesus taught in the moments before he ascended. Jesus at this point, we're reading from Acts 1 verses 4 to 8. He'd gone to the cross, he died, he'd been buried, he'd risen from the dead, but he'd not yet ascended to be seated at the right hand side of the Father. In this moment, he meets with his disciples again and he says this. Verse, uh, I'm going to start reading in verse uh, 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Again, he was reminding them of what he taught them previously that we've looked at in the book of John. Wait for what my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized, saturated in the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and began to ask him things about times and seasons. But then in verse 8, he says, you will receive power. That word is dunamis, dynamite, the ability of heaven. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, when we're taking time to read through these promises made by Jesus, it's important that we successfully banish any doubt that disagrees with the truth that Jesus taught about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit in the life of the believer so that the believer actually now has an expectancy of receiving the Holy Spirit and knowing the Holy Spirit empower their daily lives. It was and is God's eternal plan that's our salvation experience by his design. And it should be something, I believe, that every believer should expect, desire and enjoy. Okay, on our journey of the giving of the Holy Spirit, we arrive now at a day called Pentecost. Again, as a preacher, I could get really hot and sweaty at this point and begin to preach a great message on what happened in the upper room. But we're taking time in this series to lay foundations. We've looked at what the prophets have said. We looked at what John the Baptist announced. We looked at what Jesus taught himself about the Holy Spirit coming as a gift from the Father to everyone who believes to dwell with them and dwell in them. Now we look at the moment 
that it happened, all right? A day called Pentecost, when the prophecies and the, and the promises became a reality in the lives of those who were following Jesus. Now, Pentecost was actually a Jewish feast, but God chose this day of Pentecost, this Jewish feast, to actually release and give to the people that were following him the things that he had promised to them. So again, now I'm reading from the book of Acts, chapter 2 and verse 1. This time I'm reading from the Passion Translation, but um, it doesn't matter whether you're reading from the NIV, it's the same context. On the day Pentecost was fulfilled, on the day of Pentecost, all the disciples were gathered in one place and suddenly they heard the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house from out of the heavenly realms. The roar of wind was so overpowering, it was all anyone could bear. Then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes, but then it separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them. They were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and they were inspired to speak in other tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages that they had never learned. This is such a powerful moment for us to understand in our walk with the Lord. This is the moment that Jesus was now seated at the right hand side of the Father and God had released the Holy Spirit not to dwell with man as he did in temples in the Old Testament, but now to live within man, to help them live out their lives in a brand new way. This is why sometimes we're referred to as a church as Pentecostals. Maybe you've never heard that. Maybe that's a new statement to you. But we are Pentecostals. And what we mean by that is we believe in our salvation experience in a Pentecost moment that happened in the Bible for those present in the room, but also a Pentecost moment that every believer can experience in their life that empowers them to live out now the new life that God's given them. A couple of things that we need to note when we're reading these verses. There was a corporate expression of God's spirit in the room, but then it turned into a personal experience that they said it was like fire that filled the room. But then they said, then the cloud of fire broke into individual tongues of fire and one rested on the head of each one present there. And what that teaches us that the intention of God wasn't just for a corporate experience of the Holy Spirit, but rather a personal experience that every man, woman and child could experience the Holy Spirit in their lives for themselves. We notice that they were baptised, as Jesus promised, in ability and power. They received the ability to even speak in a new language. We're going to come back to that one over the next few weeks, that they even began to speak in languages they'd never learnt. The power of God turned their lives on. The power of God was turned on in their lives to such a degree that they could no longer be contained or incarcerated in a room, but they burst out. Such was the power of God now operating in their lives that they couldn't stay in a room and keep it quiet anymore. The Bible records that they burst out onto the streets 
and people around them began to say, what's happening? Now, I know sometimes we've seen films where it became very gentle and it wasn't. It was chaos. It was chaos. When you read about what happened in the moments after the the coming of the Holy Spirit into the lives of these believers, it was nothing short of chaos. People around them began to accuse them of, of being drunk. Now, to be accused of being drunk, they must have looked like they were drunk. It wasn't quiet. It wasn't subtle. It wasn't somber. These people had received God's spirit to come and live within them and their lives have been changed. Now, I know that we're going close to time here, but stay with me because I want to finish the foundation we're laying today. There's total chaos now outside of, the, outside of the room that they were in. And I'm believing as we discover a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, we won't just enjoy what God's doing in our buildings, but what God's doing in us will affect the world around us, just like it did when the, first, uh, when the Holy Spirit first came on that first day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. Now, it's chaos. People are accusing these people of being drunk. Listen to how Peter qualifies what's happening. Listen to who he refers to when he explains to those who are onlooking what they're experiencing in watching these people who are falling out of the upper room filled with God's fire and with his spirit. Now it says in verse 14 of Acts 2, Peter stood up with the 11 apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully my fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. You need to clearly understand what's happening here. I know this looks like chaos. I know this looks like confusion. I know you guys are thinking these people are drunk, but you need to understand what's happening here. These people are not drunk like you think they are, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Now listen to what he says next. Listen to what Peter says next. This is the fulfillment of what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Remember the prophet Joel, the other side of the cross, God gave him an understanding of things that would happen this side of the cross. And Peter's saying, you need to understand, this is what was taught was coming through the prophet Joel. For God says, this is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everybody, not on Jews alone, not on Gentiles alone, on everybody and cause your sons and daughters to begin to prophesy and your young men will begin to see visions. Your old men will begin to experience dreams from God. The Holy Spirit will come upon everyone, men and women alike. Remember, up to this moment, it was like women had been excluded and Christianity or following or religion was a God, a man thing. But but Peter was saying all that's changed. All of those walls have been removed. The Holy Spirit will come upon all people, men and women alike, young and old, and they will begin to prophesy. Now stay with me. For people to encounter this today and experience this today, we need to remove a few religious lies that have been preached. Number one, that the giving of the Holy Spirit was for that moment or the day that those people were in. Some people teach that what happened in the upper room on that day of Pentecost was only for those people in that room on the day it happened. Yet the Bible says this is absolutely wrong because Jesus then sends his church 
to baptize others with the Holy Spirit. When you read through the epistles and the rest of the books in the New Testament, you see like in Acts 19, uh, Paul is saying to a man called Apollos, have you received the Holy Spirit? And he lays his hands upon Apollos and this man Apollos is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Throughout the rest of the New Testament, uh, throughout the rest of the epistles, you see the, the disciples teaching on the baptism of the Spirit and praying for people to receive the baptism of the Spirit. There's many accounts where people are filled with the, in, it, with the, with the Holy Spirit. And again, why would Paul then teach us to earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit if they were no longer available? We've got to remove the religious lie that says that the giving of the Spirit or the indwelling of the Spirit in a believer's life was just for the people that were in that upper room on that day. Equally, we need to remove the lie that the giving of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit was only for people in that moment of history. This is called a cessationalism. It's a belief called cessationalism. And it's a lie from the enemy that is set to stop people experiencing the power of God in their daily lives. And we've got to call this thing out for the lie that what it is. A full cessationalist believe that the miracles ceased along with any miraculous gift Classical cessationalists assert that the miracle gifts such as prophecy, healing, speaking in tongues ceased with the apostles. But they do believe God occasionally works in power every now and then. Why do I have a problem with this? If what they're teaching is true, then why do I speak in tongues today? I was baptised with the Holy Spirit when I was nine years old as a boy. And I'm going to share more on that next week. But the moment that I received the Holy Spirit as a gift from God, I began to speak in other tongues. So if speaking in tongues ceased with the apostles 2,000 years ago, I've got a question, sir. Why do I still speak in tongues? I've got another question, sir. Why do people today still get baptised with the Holy Ghost and speak in other languages they've never learnt when I pray for them to receive the gifts of the Spirit? Why would, why would the New Testament teach me to be led by the Spirit if the Spirit was not available? Why would the Lord expect me to be fulfilling a commission that he gave to them and to me if he didn't give me the tools that he gave them to complete them? Now, I'm sorry, anyone that's a cessationalist is somebody that has placed their ignorance, their unbelief or their experience in front of the truth. And they're not living in the truth of what God has said is available. You listen, to say that the Holy Spirit is given to some people in one moment of history, to give to some people that were in one upper room, it's a lie. The Holy Spirit was given by God for every believer. Believers 2,000 years ago, and believers today, right now, a believer today, right now, can ask God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and receive the same Holy Spirit that Peter and Paul received 2,000 years ago. We've got to stop listening to people that put their experience in front of the truth. Just because they haven't experienced the Holy Spirit coming into their life doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit doesn't come into the life of every person that believes. Other people 
people say, oh, the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is only for certain people. What a load of rubbish. That's like saying that salvation is only for certain people. If everyone can receive one gift from God called salvation, then everyone can receive a second gift from God calling the baptism and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our life. We need to move these lies off of the table and say that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was given to believers now as he was given to them then. The Holy Spirit is for every believer that wants to receive him. Sorry, got a bit preachy there. I said I wouldn't, couldn't help myself. How can you talk about the Holy Spirit and about Pentecost and the indwelling power of God and not get excited? So here's the good news for us today. A person can still know the sealing of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, and also the filling of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5. It's not for some, it's for everyone. It's a gift that God has made available to anyone who asks him for it. Being empowered by God's spirit changes everything. You only have to look at one man to prove this to be true, and that's Peter himself. This man who's preaching to 3,000 people after the baptism of Holy Spirit had come into his life. Prior to the upper room, he was a man who denied Jesus three times before three people. Despite his big claims of what he was going to do for Jesus, when the rubber hit the road, in the moments that they were taking Jesus to the cross and judging Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three times. That gives him a minus three. Then suddenly after the upper room, this moment of Pentecost, this moment when the Holy Spirit comes to live in him, we see this same man, Peter, standing on a box and leading 3,000 people to know Jesus. Listen, that's the power of what can happen when you allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life and begin to empower you and begin to indwell you. Enough Christianity is just weakness and excuses. Come on, let's turn the power back on. That's what this series is about. Come on, let's turn the power back on in the church. Come on, let's get under the stairs and find the light switch and turn the power back on. Come on, let's begin to see the sick healed again. Let's begin to see the dead raised again. Let's begin to see situations turned around in cities. I'm tired of reading the book of Acts and reading about the incredible things that they experienced and then looking at my life. When they turned up, demons fleed and six people, sick people were healed. When I turn up, they put the kettle on. I'm tired of it. I want to close the gap. It's time for us to turn the power back on, not just in the church, but in our lives too. How do we turn the power back on? We recognise what the Bible teaches is available to every man today. Not just a repositioning that comes in salvation, where old is gone and new comes but also that the Lord wants every person that's been redeemed to experience not just the sealing of his spirit, Ephesians 1, but the filling of his spirit, Ephesians 5. I'm going to carry on speaking next week on how a person can receive the Holy Spirit and what happens in their life the moment that they do. But if you're watching today and you're like, Andy, Andy, I'm desperate. I want to know the Holy Spirit like you've been asking and, and sharing. The good news is you don't even need me anywhere near you. All you need to do is the same thing that you did when you prayed for God to save you. It's that simple. Remember what you did when you prayed for the Lord to save you? 
You said, Lord, I believe that you've made provision for my saving in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. If you've never prayed that prayer, go ahead and pray that prayer. And the Bible says, when you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, you'll experience his salvation. Your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. But in the same way, if you've never experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in the same way you ask the Lord for the gift of salvation, it's really simple. Just because some people don't believe it because they've not experienced it doesn't make it unavailable. All you need to do is just simply ask the Father now, thank him for saving you, and ask him now to fill you with his Holy Spirit. And wherever you're watching from, at home, in your bedroom, even in your workplace, the same Holy Spirit that fell in that upper room 2,000 years ago and filled every life present in it, will come and fill your life. You haven't got to beg God. You haven't got to demand. You haven't got to trade. God wants you to know. Father God wants you to know his spirit living in you more than you want to know it. So the good news is you don't have to wait till next week. You don't need a preacher to pray for you. You don't need a pastor to lead you in a prayer. You come before your God, if you've never experienced the baptism of the power of God, if you've never seen God turn his power on in your life, why not take a moment to ask him today? We're going to come back next week and carry on our series called Turn the Power On. God bless you.